Hey, John, fascinating talking to Joe Benning about his journeys uh, out to Alaska where he talks about some of the wildlife he encountered, the dragonflies and the elk and things like that. You know, uh, have you ever encountered any wildlife around here? You told me once you saw Bigfoot, didn't you? Yeah, I've definitely seen Bigfoot. Bigfoot, really? Yeah, well, let's just focus on Joe Benning, okay? okay this okay, one's actually John. really good. <laughs> Sounds good. Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. Okay, and on with us today is somebody that we have known for, well, I've known him for a long time, since I was a little kid. Um, is Joe Benning. Joe, welcome. Thank you, John. Welcome, Joe. Good afternoon, Mark. So we're excited to have you on, Joe. One of the reasons we uh, wanted to visit with you was you you clearly, um, you know, you've been riding motorcycles, I think, all your life. But give us a little background on, you know, what you're doing today um, and uh, just, just background on, on who you are. I know a little bit about you, and Mark certainly does, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first, um, I'm presently an attorney and practicing law for uh, 34 almost 35 years now ouch and uh, primarily a litigator that means I'm in court most of the time and uh, my, I'm also a state senator representing the Caledonia County District that's a double ouch that's uh, <laughs> my job description and uh, in my spare time when I get a chance to I like to go riding motorcycles but I'll correct you on one thing I did not begin riding motorcycles until I became a lawyer, and my uh, practice at the beginning stages was you take everything that walks in the door, and one of the things that walked in the door was a divorce client who couldn't afford to pay his bill off, but he did have a very old Kawasaki 450 sitting in a snowbank out in front of his house, and he asked me if I would take that in trade. So my intent was to take it and get it fixed up after I dug it out of the snow and ice, sell it for what I could get for it, and be done. But um, after having it repaired, I made the mistake of riding it home. And when I learned that you could go uphill without pedaling, it was like an epiphany. And I suddenly found myself not willing to sell it, started learning how to ride on the back roads of Vermont. And I was happy as a clam for about a month until my sister-in-law saw me riding on it and recognized that uh, it was funny. I said, what's so funny? And she said, you look like a train bear on a bicycle. <laughs> very next day, I, I kid you not, the very next day, I found myself on Upper Farwell Street and met Harry and Barb Wilkins, and the rest, they say, is history. That was sometime in 1986. Oh, that's funny, Joe. You were um, you were here last week at the the Hog celebration. You told an interesting story about um, when you were a, a law student and uh, the crowd that you hung around with there, and then uh, the crowd that you met when you got up to Farwell Street. And one of the things that made me laugh was you said you said that they're both wonderful people, but you always felt more comfortable around the bikers than the lawyers. And it made me laugh, given that you're a lawyer. <laughs> Yeah, that, ca that continues to this day, you know, when you um, are in any group of people, you have a sense of how you fit into that group. And when I am in a group of motorcyclists, I always feel extremely comfortable. Um, when
when you're in a group of lawyers, you have a, a certain feeling, and, and of course, within a group of legislators, you have a different feeling altogether. <laughs> All three groups, they will laugh at you when you leave behind your back, but um, at least with the motorcyclists, you know you're, you're on an even keel with them, and uh, there's always comfort that they're laughing with you instead of at you. That's fantastic, Joe. Joe, do you ride your Harley Davidson to the state house? I mean, do you like rumble right up into the parking lot there with it? Uh, I actually have. I'm the Senate Minority Leader, so I have my own parking space allotted at the state house. And if I decide to uh, come out on a warm day in the spring, you betcha, I'll have the Harley with me, and I'll have my suit jacket in the back uh, pack and pull it out, unwrinkle it, and walk in the building. That's fantastic. Are there any other uh, senators or representatives that ride Harleys to the to the state house? There's actually a story behind that. Um, when I first got into the Senate, they give you a license plate for your car, and the commissioner of motor vehicles at the time was a guy named Rob Ide, and Rob uh, kind of joked with me that, geez, you ought to have one for your motorcycle because he knows me from my local district. And I said to him, yeah, I'd really like to have that. And then we started talking with Dick Mazza, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, about the fact that there was no license plate available for motorcycles. And the next thing I know, I, uh, I have on my desk in the State House a motorcycle license plate, which is the very first legislative motorcycle license plate from Vermont. Fantastic. Senate number 27. And now there are three or four other legislators who I, I stumble across on the, out on the roads. All of a sudden I'll see a legislative license plate on a motorcycle, and I think that's really great. But I immediately have my eyes glued to that, thinking, huh, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have that right now. <laughs> Joe, uh, I know a little bit of uh, history on this piece, but tell us, um, you know, for our listeners' sake, you have been involved with... Um, motorcycle uh, legislation since well before you were in the state senate. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, actually, the the desire to get involved in legislation for that is what actually got me into politics to begin with. I was on a ride early in my uh, motorcycle riding career over to Maine one day, and you know, from Lindenville, Vermont, uh, Portland, Maine is probably two two and a half hours away. And I swore that was the greatest thing. I mean, it was the farthest I had ever been from home on a motorcycle, and I just I couldn't believe that I made it that far and spent the weekend there with a bunch of friends. Well, on the way back, it was in the 90s, and Maine and New Hampshire are states where you can have motorcycle helmet choice. And we got back to the uh, Vermont border, had to stop before we crossed the river, and I stared across the river at the sign saying, Welcome to Vermont, thinking... This is the land of Ethan Allen. This is the land where Calvin Coolidge assured the world that if liberty vanished from the face of the earth, it could all be replenished by the brave little state of Vermont and its generous store of liberty-loving patriots. And <laughs> thought to myself, I'm about to be told by my state I have to wear a hat on my head. And that uh -huh. just didn't sit well with me. And all of a sudden, I found myself thinking about politics. And here I am, a state senator tried on several occasions to have that particular issue uh, discussed and voted on, have not yet been successful in the vote count, but we're getting closer, and someday I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But you had a, um, uh, an important role in that, and I think 
it may be the, the organization that you were representing was Freedom of the Road? Yeah, that's uh, going back a few years, but that is true. And what was, what was the reasoning why, why you were unsuccessful in that, in that particular instance? What, what was the decision-making? I think it went, went to the Vermont Supreme Court, no? Right, it did. Um, it was a declaratory judgment action that was seeking to have the ability of the state blocked from enforcing the law. The um, opinion was written by Justice John Dooley, and the famous quote from that is, that there is no constitutional obstacle in the path of any legislation designed to curtail the health care expenses of us all. That still does not sit well with me. <laughs> Essentially says that the state has the right to do anything it wants um, as long as it's demonstrated that it might potentially have some savings and health care costs imposed upon the state as a whole. So there's this dichotomy of, of individualism versus state implementation of a desired policy statement. And that continues on a daily basis over here. I mean, I see it in many other different places. But the bottom line was we lost the argument at the Supreme Court level, and so now I'm turning to the legislature to try to redesign that. Interesting. So, Joe, um, was the argument against you still the same, that the impact on the costs for the state are unacceptable? Yeah, that's basically what the legislators are saying. But, you know, if you carry that logic out, if you are involved in anything that might potentially have an impact on the health care costs imposed on the state as a whole, it becomes immediately subject to legislation. Um, so pick your poison, whatever you like to do in the pursuit of happiness, if it has the potential of having a negative impact in health care expenses, it could become curtailed by potential legislative action and the Supreme Court would not stand in the way. That's a philosophy that I just can't live with. Wow, very interesting. Joe, you're known for taking some pretty long journeys on your motorcycle. Can you tell us about some of the epic journeys you've been on? Um, I've been on a lot of them, and frankly, it, it starts with the, uh, the hog chapter that I belong to. One of our members from the early days of the hog chapter was um, Myron Dagenhart, who was telling us about his desire to go to Alaska. And of course, at that time, my thought of a, a long-distance motorcycle trip was uh, 18 miles across the river in New Hampshire. And so the, the idea that a person could get on a motorcycle and ride all the way to Alaska from Vermont was totally fascinating. And I began to think about it more and more, and he had not just one or two, but like, like three or four instances where he went solo out to Alaska. And so I began to think a lot about that. Um, I have participated with various groups in rides, for instance, the Blue Ridge Parkway or up into the Canadian Maritimes. <clears throat> and we have, through the years, been as far together as Florida and the, the very northern tip of Newfoundland. But the idea of going all the way to the West Coast still eluded me until I turned 50 years old, um, which is 11 years ago now. But on my 50th birthday, I decided I was going to take a sabbatical. And I decided I was going to ride around most of the North American continent and try to squeeze in as much as I possibly could. When you're riding solo, you have the opportunity to ride all day without worrying about you know who has to stop how often and 
how to collect people from the restaurant or whatever the case may be. So literally from the time you wake up to the time you get tired and you want to go to bed, you can ride all day. And there were times that during this five-week trip, I was putting in 700 miles a day just because I had nothing else to do. And um, that really took hold with me, the ability to be all day on the road doing something that I love. I, I really thought that was a great thing and liked the idea of getting other people involved in it. So a certain group of HOG members and I, we've, we've done quite a bit of traveling together. And this past summer, we had the opportunity to go to Alaska and back, and that was a whole lot of fun. Now, Joe, one of the things that Mark and I talk about in some of the other podcasts are the sort of a, a meditative state that um, you get when you ride a motorcycle. When you've ridden solo or 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 as a group, I mean, I mean, you really rack up some serious miles. That's inspirational to a lot of us. But what 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 is it in your own words that's so so fantastic about riding a motorcycle on some of the trips you've been on? Well, if you compare my daily life to being on the motorcycle, as a lawyer, I am constantly, constantly thinking about what's going on with various clients. And I am in the position, literally, of having their life and liberty in my hands and you know, constantly worrying about what am I doing right, what am I doing wrong. In the legislature, there is a similar situation where I'm trying to examine every piece of legislation that is coming across my desk to make sure I've got every angle covered. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? There's also the political dynamic of with people that don't have the same views as you. So all day long, you are in discussions with people that you have to listen to and respond to and uh, try to convince at other times or let them convince you. But it, it's a constant connection with other people that you just cannot let go. And I carry that home every night. So I, of course, dream about it. And there's no way to disconnect from it. But if you get on the bike, that's a whole nother story. You're suddenly in the moment. You have what's in front of you as your main occupation. And your brain is literally connected only in that moment, as opposed to everything else that you've got going on. I will say I did have a momentary interruption on the trip to Alaska this past year when I was in the middle of the Yukon Territory and all of a sudden, the Bluetooth on my bike went off, and I got a phone call from a legislator back home. And I, I thought, you know, after two weeks on the road, I'm in the middle of this Zen experience, and then all of a sudden, I'm immediately brought back by the Bluetooth experience <laughs> on the bike, which was awkward, uh, but comical at the same time. Sure. Other than that, the uh, the experience of being out in the elements like that is, is just something I, I can't explain to anyone that hasn't experienced it, as the saying goes, if I have to explain, it's just not going to get the message to you. You have to experience. Well, that's fantastic, Joe. I, I, I can relate uh, to your story about the intrusion of technology in a meditative state that uh, it seems to be an ongoing struggle for uh, modern life, that's for sure. So I want to get into the hypothetical a little bit here, Joe. Um, Mark, I have to stop you. Well, anytime you get into these hypotheticals, um, it just the podcast seems to go a little 
sideways. So you didn't run this one by me. Nope, nope, I didn't. This, so this was... um, do you want to just, we want to pause for a second? Or no, is this no, a no, hypothetical that Joe is going to be okay with? You know, you know what few people don't know about you, uh, John, is that you're also a lawyer. And sometimes your lawyer comes Let's down to you. not ruin the podcast. No, we already no, talked just, about that I'm, before. I, I don't want people to know on our podcast that I'm a lawyer, first of all. And I don't even practice anymore, so... I can all fairness, active. Mark, I knew him when he was 12 years old. So just as goofy then as he is now. Joe, I, I hope that you'll uh, you'll allow the hypothetical uh, to happen here, despite John's reservations about it. Um, imagine for a second that Harley Davidson called you, Joe, and said, you know, Joe, you've been a champion of, uh, of our uh, motorcycles for a long time, and we'd like to issue a Joe Benning Glide. Uh, as a new model for the 2019 year. And uh, I'm wondering if that happened, uh, how would you describe that motorcycle to Harley-Davidson? What might it be? What might it look like? What color would it be? And what features would it have? What do you mean, if it happened? I thought that was the bargain for this phone call. <laughs> that would be classic if we were... I was just thinking about that. If we were announcing something like that, how exciting that would be to give... I, I will have to say, Mark, that the, the CVO that I have right now is really the epitome of a riding machine for my purposes. And I've had everything from a sportster now on up, but to go a long distance all day long, to have enough room to pack whatever you really need, to have as part of that Zen experience the music that comes along with that rig, um, it just doesn't get any better than that. So if I was looking to have such a model, it would probably be patterned very much after the bike I currently own, which is gray. The only difference I would make, it would have to be a really nice blood red. Blood red. Wow. Well, I'll say that when, so Joe, uh, when he when he uh, picked up this CVO, um, he was coming off of a deluxe. And I was super, super excited because I felt like I, I constantly questioned for the amount of miles that he rode, why are you riding this deluxe? It, it's, it, it, I mean, it looks beautiful, and I'm sure it rides amazing, but he was just a content, happy guy riding that deluxe until until he uh, picked this thing up. But I, I know how, he told me how happy he was, and I'm sure you know he misses other motorcycles that he's had, but um, I remember being excited. That I was, was a happy guy, and I was also covered with bugs and uh, wind-beaten by the end of the day. <laughs> but that's its own experience. This this bike that I have now has, um, I guess, turned me on to the benefits of being able to ride all day without ending up covered with a mess and uh, being wind-beaten. But the, the one great, funny experience on the prior bike that I had, um, we were riding through the middle of Saskatchewan on what is known as the Dragonfly Highway. And the first guy on the column would ride along and would stir up all of the dragonflies that literally (laughs) covered the highway because they were staying warm overnight. And the uh, dragonflies, of course, would then hit everybody right behind him. And we all ended up covered with this mustard yellow gook. (laughs) Not only were our bodies covered, but the bikes were just obliterated with this yellow gook that we took weeks to get off so i i enjoy having that fairing up there i'll have to admit 
So it might be a concession of getting older. Joe, what? Tell me about these. Uh, you know, speaking of the trips to to Alaska, the the region. What is the um, what's the product that ends up? Is there a dust that gets into the paint? Is it what is the you know what's the product that gets onto these motorcycles that doesn't come off besides well, the dragonflies? It's kind of like a concrete paste. Um, I don't. I can't tell you exactly what the minerals are that's in the um, the dirt that's on the roads up there, but some of the back roads are so dusty um, that you literally can't see the headlight of the guy who's probably 20 feet behind you. Wow. Wow. And it gets to the point where you're breathing it in. Um, you have to separate yourselves from each other so that some of the dust subsides. But I, we had this ride uh, back in last July and August I'm sure that right now there are still places on my bike, even though I am a, a fanatic about keeping it clean, there are still places on my bike where that, that concrete dust settles in and it's incredibly difficult to get off. But that's part of the experience. Sure, sure. And, and I think that's what I think is, is when I asked you about what, why is motorcycling so zen-like. But that I'm glad that you identify that as just part of the experience because it's hard to explain when you talk about the different environments and different smells and and different temperatures and uh even in a one mile stretch of road yeah. i mean that's kind of the interesting thing you just get varying levels of of smells and temperature in such a short amount of time so the fact that you're out there um but i've seen this stuff on your motorcycles and i wondered what this product was this mysterious product that made their way Hmm. Made its way to the product that I've learned. Your detailers can almost eradicate, but not quite. <laughs> well, you you guys are both speaking uh, about Zen uh, and meditative qualities on these long, long time, long journeys. So, Joe, besides uh, getting away from your everyday world, where does your mind go when you're in this trance? This this motorcycle induced uh, trance. One of my loves is history especially American history. So I will eventually end up on a long ride visiting numerous historical um, or geological sites that I've never seen before. And every time I take a trip with a group of people, they always know they're going to end up stopping someplace that uh, they have some interest in. And that's part of the process for me is being able to visit places that I never would normally have visited otherwise. Fantastic. Well, I, I've noticed this phenomenon happening with, with John when he comes off his bike, and I've, I've always wondered, he just looks kind of like, you know, stoned or something to me, but I guess it's the meditative <laughs> meditative thing, John. is that well, you, wrote, Do you have the same experience as Joe? I wouldn't say, well, first of all, I don't have half the miles that Joe Benning has on, on motorcycles. No, no. So th that's a different story altogether. But, yeah, when I ride my motorcycle, I mean, I rode last night, and I only rode to Waterbury, and it was snowing, and... Yeah, so I didn't want to spend a lot of time out there, but you know the the we talk about fresh air in in Vermont. You can obviously step outside your front door and get fresh air, but there is something very uh, interesting about riding your motorcycle and getting that fresh air that you do sleep a lot better. There's a piece of it that you got to focus, like you know Joe referenced what's in front of you. Well, that's what's in front of you, right? So, and I love that, and that that's something that that I hadn't heard somebody reference before, but 
how you sleep at night is pretty amazing when you ride a motorcycle, especially when you ride all day. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know if you've noticed this, John, but the farther west you go, the normal sense of the earth around you, sense meaning S-C-E-N-T-S, um, are different. You start to smell different grasses, different trees, and all of a sudden when you're out there, especially way out west, you adopt to that in a way that is different. I mean, your body senses the differences. And then when you come back home, the farther east you come, you start to all of a sudden remember that the, the world is different. The, the scents that you're picking up are much different. But it is really an amazing experience that you'd never get riding in a car because you just you don't have that literally in-your-face ability to be in the environment. You, you you must have read The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh yes. Yes. So I mean th- this lines up with a lot of a lot of that mo- that book. Yep. I have um read probably every motorcycle book you can imagine, but um I really if you take Robert Piercig's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, um not only is it a scary novel because you all of a sudden realize who he's talking about that the the monster is, but the ability to interact with the environment and people in your surroundings is so much different on the bike than it is on any other form of transportation. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's fantastic, Joe. It's been a long time since I read that book, but you speaking about the monster really brought back some memories about that book. Yeah, that shook me up. I mean, I literally the hair on the back of my neck went up when I yeah. suddenly recognized who he was talking about. Yeah, for, for, for our listeners out there who have not read this, this, this is a real worthwhile book to read for sure, no question about it. So, Joe, you mentioned the dragonflies out there in Alaska. Did you come across uh, uh, any other wildlife that you wouldn't find in Vermont? I mean, were there any grizzlies or, like, you know, giant bears and stuff out there? What? Yeah, my, uh, my first trip out to Alaska when I was going solo, I, I came across this sign. It was obviously a sheep in the road sign. And I thought to myself, oh, isn't that nice? There's somebody out here with sheep in a farm or something. And I came around a corner in a place called Muncho Lake. And the road was covered over with mountain sheep that, I mean, the shortest one, his horns were at the same level as my handlebars. So to, to suddenly find that there are these sheep that are animals much bigger than some of our horses out here was a pretty amazing thing to see. We've seen buffalo, eagles um, up in the northern parts of the Yukon Territory. We came across a herd of elk that were on the road, and, and I was in the lead at that moment in time, and all of a sudden the herd took off, but a mother and two babies were sort of lagging behind. And I got to be real up close with them as we were riding along the road. And uh, Those kinds of experiences are pretty incredible. We also saw other animals like bear and moose that you see here on a pretty regular basis. But to see some of the wildlife out there, like the, the mountain sheep and um, elk or buffalo, that's a whole new experience when you're riding along and suddenly stumble upon a herd of them. Joe, speaking of some of those trips, you put on a class about uh, touring and some of the touring tips and ideas um, in some of them that I've, I've adopted myself. What, what are some of, the, some of your favorite uh, recommendations or tips that you would have for somebody 
maybe traveling uh, as far as you have out out, out west? Yeah, I um, my early days of learning how to pack and what to pack were trial and error many times over. So through the years, I've learned that you first assemble everything you think you're going to need. You discard things that you know you'll never need but think you might need. And you get down to the very basics of what you absolutely have to have. So when you get to that point, then you bring it all out to your motorcycle and then you realize you can't fit it all anyway. So you start to discombobulate again and and design down to fit what you need and always leave space left over because it's inevitable that you'll be coming home with souvenirs of some kind. In my case, it's usually t-shirts or some form of clothing, and my wife, she likes to collect rocks, so we literally end up with piles of rocks coming back from wherever we are. Uh, But you go through a, a process of trial and error and discover that there are things you absolutely need, things you might need, and things you think you need, and the difference between those three leaves you with getting back to what you absolutely need, and that's all that you need to bring. So I I go through this trial and error process every time I take a group of people along. I I advise the people coming with me. They think, oh, yeah, I've got this new item X, and that's a really cool thing. And I say, yeah, leave it home. (laughs) Um, But that process really does uh, take some work with some people. I have one guy that I ride with constantly who's got his favorite thing is a, a bottle of monkey butt powder. Unfortunately, he likes the industrial-sized version, so his toilet kit is as big as my suitcase. And we go through the times laughing at him because he's he's got such a big pack. Uh, but I, I learned a long time ago, you don't want your motorcycle looking like a hot air balloon, you know, with the basket below and the hot air balloon on top. That's a dangerous situation to find yourself in, and there's no need to bring all that stuff with you. Yeah, I agree. And but the, let's be honest, a monkey butt powder does come in handy. Um, I wouldn't know. I have yet to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, tell us one one last thing. I think feel like we're running tight on time already, but it went by quick. But uh, what what you, you mentioned hotels, and I, I think our listeners would be interested in that. And it's something that I I feel like uh, I've started adopting that I'd like you to talk a little bit about. Yeah, there's um, there's a philosophy to are you going to go camping or are you going to go to use a hotel? Um, we prefer hotels only because it's nice to get out of the rain. It's really nice to have a hot shower. I try to focus on a hotel that, first off, if you're approaching a city, get on the other side of the city because the traffic in the morning will be coming into the city and you don't want to be involved in that traffic. So you locate a hotel that has a really cheap price. I mean, you need a clean bed, that's the basic. You want a hot shower, that's a basic. You don't want bed bugs, of course, but preferably a hotel that has a free breakfast in the morning as early as possible so that you can get on the road as early as possible. Then when you're departing the parking lot, you get out and you're not in the middle of all that morning of rush hour traffic. But you talked about mom and pops. Oh, definitely. The mom and pops are always cheaper. The people are always friendlier. You end up a lot of times in a mom and pop hotel where the mom and pop literally come up to you and say, hey, we're having a barbecue or whatever. Why don't you come and join us? So you get to meet people and have a conversation with the locals. That's always a lot of fun. I thought that was a kind of an interesting thing. You know, it's something we we forget about when we're riding our, our bikes that 
that you know he, he really focuses on the mom and pops just because he learns the environment and the history and it just adds another whole new level to to uh, to that to that trip and I'm sure that some of their um, you know rides or maybe ability to bypass dangerous areas or even see uh, even more amazing areas are, are enhanced with that with that philosophy and I just thought that was a kind of a neat a neat thing that I'd never heard anybody mention that try to focus on that the much you know the best you can yeah well, they're usually it's... the least expensive and very often the cleanest that you'll find because the people want they're very proud of their product they're not part of a major chain um, and they're often located right next to a nice little restaurant of some kind not the, the typical chain restaurant but a local diner getting to meet the locals is always a great part of the experience well, Joe, I think we're, uh, we're, we've already kicked off 30 minutes, which went by super, super fast, or did, did at least for me. It's true. Um, is there anything on your end that maybe you want to tell us that's coming down the pike that's uh, of interest to our listeners? A book coming out, a Joe Benning book? I think the, um, the immediate future for me is trying to concentrate on getting out of the legislative session. Um, getting back to my normal day job and some routine, but most importantly, focusing on some couple of weeks somewhere in the middle of the summer where I can get back on the road and have some fun. Um, I don't want to uh, leave without saying once again that that old saying that if I have to explain, you'll never understand, is always cured by somebody who decides to take the first step. And one of my legislative colleagues here about to take the first step, and I'll be bringing her in to introduce you guys to her because I think eventually she's going to be looking for a bigger bike than the one she's probably going to end up with during her training course. Uh, but I always encourage people to take the first step, learn how to do it right, and then we won't have to be having a half-hour conversation trying to explain to you about why this is all wonderful. You'll know right away. Yeah, that's the truth. Well, wonderful. Well, we appreciate it very, very, very much, Joe. We know you're super busy. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. And, uh, yeah, Mark, what? Well, I, Joe, I just wanted to offer you one little bit of advice. Uh, the next time you're on one of these epic journeys uh, on your beautiful CVO, uh, turn that Bluetooth off, would you? Yeah, I, I'm getting that impression I should be doing that. Definitely leave the work behind. Thank Bellman, you, Joe. I want to, and I use that term loosely, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity gentlemen i hope you have a great day thank you, you joe thank you joe Take great care. to talk to you thanks for listening to the behind the bars podcast sponsored by wilkins harley davidson stay tuned for our next exciting podcast check out additional information on wilkinsharley.com